G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Jacob thinks God exists for his purposes. Everything's got to work out according to the way he thinks it should. And sometimes we never grow out of that. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. What do you wrestle with? I encourage you to have a think about that while we listen to today's message. Pastor Jeff takes us through how Jacob wrestles with God. And he also looks at how we just sometimes need to trust and have faith that God will always come through for us. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Let's get into the message now with Pastor Jeff on today with Jeff Vines. Hey, I'm so glad that we're together this weekend, ready to get into God's Word and do some amazing things as the Spirit of God does some amazing things and opening our eyes to the truth of His Word and the truth of how our lives can be changed. So I hope you've turned over to Genesis chapter 32. Uh, and let us start like this. Uh, when I was uh, a little boy, I went to vacation Bible school. How many remember going to v- VBS? We still have it. And uh, I got this little badge. Now, today you get all kinds, I mean, it's amazing. Back in, back in the day, we were lucky to get a little badge and a little great popsicle stick. Now they get all kinds of stuff. You kids have it easy. But anyway, I got this little badge and it said, Jesus saves. Now, I wore that badge to my peewee baseball game and we won. So I kept wearing the badge. Now, it's uncanny. Uh, I was one of those guys that always played on the winning team. Now, don't, don't throw anything at me. It's just it's a, nothing more than luck. That's all it is. You play on the winning team. It's just, it just happened to be the right place, right time. And I wore that badge through Pee Wee Baseball, through Little League Baseball. And you know what I started thinking, don't you? I got my badge. I'm invincible because my badge says Jesus saves. Now, sometimes I didn't want to wear it because I thought it embarrassed me in front of my friends. Just telling you the truth. What do you mean, Jesus? Who's Jesus, you know? Is that an accounting comment or, you know, no, no, Jesus saves. Got the badge. And I started thinking, this thing's like a four-leaf clover, man. I wear this badge. I'm invincible. Now, I got the Babe Ruth baseball and I was 15 years old, still wearing the badge. On my uniform, I'd wear it somewhere. I'm not kidding. And it's Babe Ruth baseball and it's my last year and I'm on the all-star team and we had never beaten uh, the Johnson City Hilltoppers. So I'm from this, you know, hick town, Elizabethan, and Johnson City, the Hilltoppers were our, our arch rival. And we'd never beaten them because they're the city boys. And we always wanted to beat the city boys. We're the mountain boys. And we go over in the all-star game, we're playing them. And I have good feeling about this. You know why? I got my badge. Jesus saves. And so we come to the final game 
It's the bottom of the ninth. We're up two to one. They got one guy on base. All I got to do is strike out the side or get three guys out. Now, the first guy gets on. He's still second on my brother, who's the catcher. I still haven't forgiven him for that. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this big dude comes up. He's huge. And he's walking to the plate like he owns the place. And I had not seen him before. He hadn't played earlier in the game. This is the bottom of the ninth. I'm thinking, who's this guy? And then this thought went through my head. No need to fear. You know why? Got my Jesus Saves badge. No problem. I threw him a fastball. No, I I started out with two uh, all-speed pitches. The coach over the dugout says, throw him the heat. And I was a little scared to do that. But then I remembered... I have my Jesus saves badge. I threw the heat. Never in my life have I seen a ball hit so far. <laughs> this guy, this, this, this ball, it was like a golf swing. And he timed it. And they had chicken wire over the left field fence to make sure that the ball would not go over the fence into the neighbors. Oh, it, it cleared that chicken wire. It went so high and so far. And I don't know if I was more shocked of how far he hit it or that, wait a minute, I had my Jesus badge. Jesus saves. And then I started thinking, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe all this time, it had nothing to do with the Jesus saves badge. And then the next thought entered my mind, I'm just being honest, wow, maybe this badge doesn't work. And then I was mad because I've been wearing this and I've embarrassed myself a few times. Come on now, you know we think like this. And there was something in my young 15-year-old mind that told me, wait a minute, I've got my Jesus Saves badge, so everything's got to work out well for me. And sometimes we never grow out of that. This is Jacob. Jacob thinks God exists for his purposes. And as long as he's got his Jesus Saves badge, Everything's got to work out according to the way he thinks it should. And he never grows out of it. So he goes from one circumstance to the next, believing that God is there specifically to give him the things that he wants. He thinks he's entitled to things. He thinks that God owes him certain things. And when they don't work out, he takes life uh, just by the horns and starts to manipulate and deceive people to get what it is that he thinks is rightfully his. So he fluctuates moving back and forth between being pleased with God and being angry at God to using God for his own purposes. The reason the story of Jacob, the reason I've taken you through this is because he's a microcosm of our lives, whether we're willing to admit it or not. And no matter how long we've been a Christian, all of us, me, you together. And as we look at his life, we learn so much about ours. And the first thing we learn is that we are all wrestlers. If you're following along, all of us in Jacob's life, In Genesis 32, verse 24, we come to this passage. It says this. Look at this. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be moving fast because this passage is loaded. So you got to stay with me. The Bible says a man wrestled with Jacob until daybreak. Does anybody in the room know what Jacob's name means? It means wrestler. In the original text, the Hebrew says a man Jacob with Jacob. Are you with me? A man Jacob with Jacob. Until daybreak. Jacob has been a manipulator, conniver, deceiver all of his life, trying to get from God what he thinks is rightfully his. And to show you how powerful this is, this past week, I received a book in the mail. 
Now, this is one of those things that you get. You can tell it's old. It's one of those things you get. You think, wow, both my parents are dead. And my sister-in-law, married to my older brother, was rummaging through some stuff that was left over that didn't get sold in the yard sale or didn't, somehow didn't go on to be stored somewhere. And she found it in the bottom of an old chest. And the title of it is, Our Baby's First Seven Years. And it's got my name on the inside. That my mom, and I'd never, I did not know this existed, had kept a book on the first seven years of my life. And I started reading it because it's about my favorite topic, me. So I... <laughs> I went through it line by line. And I came to some interesting uh, written dialogue. First of all, I learned that I did not speak until I was 18 months old. I said nothing for 18 months. And then when I did speak, my first word was the word dog. And the problem is we didn't have a dog. And I asked my older brothers, they said, no, no, we did not have a dog. That was my first word after eight. Dog, really? And then then it reminded me of, I'm dyslexic. I really meant God because dog is just, <laughs> God spelled backwards. And so that made sense to me. I also went down and read line after line. There was an interesting entry where my mom, and she wrote it just like this, line after line. It said, quiet, never cries, has to wake him up to feed him. Circumcised, August 31st, 1964. <laughs> And I read that, I thought, no wonder I didn't say anything for 18 months. (laughs) Now, my point is this, Jacob, if you were to read his baby book, you would open up the first page and here would be the photo. You'd see this. Jacob, if you know anything about the story, was a twin, but he came out of the womb second behind his brother Esau and he was grabbing hold of his heel because he wanted to pull Esau back in and be the firstborn. This is his whole life, man. There's a certain list of things he thinks he's entitled to that God owes him that he should have the right to have good health, to have a good life, to have the, a good looking wife, to have it all. And, and he thinks that God exists to help him get these things so that he can get rid of this sense of unworthiness and insignificance. So all of these are what we called a few weeks ago, pseudo saviors. Jacob's tried to save himself through these things. So he wants God to help him. So if I can just get the birthright, I'll feel feelings of worthiness and significance. If I can just get the girl, Rachel, remember? If I can just get the girl, then I'll be complete and the void in my life will be gone. If I can just get married, if I can just have children, if I can just get Laban's land and goods, then I will be complete and fulfilled and this sense of unworthiness and this hole in my heart will all dissipate. Now, here's the problem. It's not working. (laughs) He's frustrated. He's gotten all those things. And he's still miserable and lives with this quiet sense of desperation. So he sits down one day, according to the uh, narrative. And and by the way, we're at the end of his his story, so stay with me. And he thinks, what's going on? I've got everything. I mean, look, I've I've manipulated, I've deceived, and I've gotten things that I thought were going to save me. It's not working. What am I going to do now? And you know what conclusion he comes to? He says, oh, I got it. He's the ultimate jumper, this guy. If I can just go home, that's it. If I could just get my goods and my families and go back to the land of my fathers, if I could go home, then that would do it. Yep, that's it. That's the thing, but there's a problem. Esau's trying to kill me. So Esau's my real problem. If I can just handle Esau, my brother, my sibling, that's the real problem in my life. If I can just reconcile with him, then I can go back to the land of my fathers and I'll be happy and complete. I'm gonna tell you again, 
Jacob is the ultimate jumper. I see this in ministry. Do you know how many times I've seen jumpers? You know what a jumper is? It's, it's guys who are in the midlife crisis. They come in and they'll say, man, you know, I think if I just get a new wife, my life will be better. If I get a new job, my life will be better. If I move out of state, my life will be better. And I so desperately want to point to them and say, dude, do you realize what you're saying? Do you know what the common denominator is in your misery? You. That's the trouble. If you move away, you'll still be there. We're jumpers. So here's what happens. Jacob makes a plan. He says, I'm going to divide my goods into two sections and I'm going to shower my brother Esau with gifts from my servants. So he sends them in waves. First wave, here are gifts from your brother Jacob. 30 minutes later, here's another wave. Here are more gifts from your brother Jacob. And he's just showering him with gifts. Make no mistake though, Jacob doesn't trust Esau farther than he could throw him. That's why he divides his family up into two groups so that if Esau chases him and kills one section, he'll still have one section left and can flee back to the land that is not of his father's. So here's what happens. Jacob divides the families and the flocks and the herds, and then he sends everybody away and he says, I want to be alone. And he just sits by himself contemplating this wrestling match that he's going to have the next day with his brother Esau. And he's telling himself, man, if I can just win this match, if I can outwit Esau then man, I'll get to go home to the land of my fathers and my life will be good. Guess what happens as he's sitting there thinking about his wrestling match with Esau? Somebody comes up behind him and clobbers him. And he's thinking, geez, you know, I'm, I'm having a wrestling match with Esau. Who's got, who's, who the heck is this? And somebody gets him in a full Nelson, in a, in a, in a chokehold, whatever wrestling terminology you want to use. And he's trying to fight him off. He fights him all through the night. And then in the morning, just before the sun comes up, discovers who he's been fighting. And who is it? God. He's fighting God. Now stay with me. Let's take a time out just a moment. This is not your granddaddy's God. It's not your grandmother's God. This is not the God of conservative evangelicalism. This is not the God of televangelists. This is not the safe little God that most of us have in our minds that we've created in our own image. This is the God about whom C.S. Lewis writes in the Chronicles of Narnia. When there is a question concerning Aslan, the Christ figure, and the question is, is he safe? Is God safe? And the response comes back, is he safe? No. Who said anything about safe? He's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. The God of the Bible has to clobber Jacob to wake him up to get him to see that all these things that you expect, that you think you're entitled to, and that you're pursuing... All of them, they're not going to give you what you're looking for. Wake up. You've not been wrestling against Esau or Rachel or your mom or Isaac, your father, your entire life. You've been wrestling against me, God. We're all wrestlers and we've all been wrestling with God. Now look how this develops, man. This is, I love this narrative. This is one of my favorite narratives. Here's what happens as the story goes on. When the man saw he could not overpower him, now remember, from Jacob's perspective, he doesn't know it's God he's wrestling with until the morning. There's a reason he doesn't find out till the morning. So right now we call him the man. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, that is Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Do you see what happens? Jacob wrestles all night. He doesn't know who it is, but he says, I'm holding my own here. This dude's strong, but I'm holding my own. And then all of a sudden in the Hebrew, it's the word for just tap. The wrestler just tapped him around the hip and it knocked his hip out of socket and debilitated him. Have you ever had something come out of socket? 
It is the most painful thing you could ever experience. In basketball, we have shoulder separations all the time. It is extremely painful, but here's what happens. This, this is the interesting thing about all this. Usually, when a wrestler gets you in a hold where there's enormous pain, what do you do? You squirm and get out of there. My brother Tim was a state championship wrestler. Uh, all my brothers, I have three of them, were built like my father. Short, stocky, muscle-bound. I was not, as you can tell. I was built like my mother, who was about 5'10", and just, you know, 120, soaking wet. And so my brother, Tim, who was a great wrestler, would ask me, hey, I, I learned some new moves in practice today. Can I try them out on you? I was a perfect candidate, because I was six three and a half and about 170 pounds. And he could get me in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And he would try these new moves on me. And usually he would get me in some kind of hole that I couldn't get out of. And there's nothing worse than having your older brother say, you can't move, can you? <laughs> and you're like, no, I can't. I let me go. But then he would do something like rub the, uh, el his elbow into my spine or uh, hit, hit my, the back of my neck just in the right way to send a shockwave. And then for some reason, I would be able, because the pain was so excruciating, just to squirm my way out of it. And it always surprised him. Now, don't you find it interesting that according to this story, God touches the hip socket of Jacob. He's in enormous pain, but instead of fleeing and getting away, according to the Bible, he grabs on and holds on tighter to God. Look at what happens in verse 26. The Bible says, let me go for it is daybreak. This is God speaking. Now you know that God could get away at any point, right? But he says to Jacob, because the lesson's for Jacob, not for God, let me go for it's daybreak. Let me go. So Jacob, when he's in enormous pain, stay with me, this is so beautiful. When he's in enormous pain, what does he do? He grabs on even tighter. Why? Why does a man who's in enormous pain grab even tighter to the man who is the origin of the pain? And the answer is simple. Jacob reroutes in this one moment in time. There's such a great economy of words here. Not many words, but there's so much that's said by the Hebrew narrator. Jacob, right then and there, realized, when he realized it was God, that he now had a hold of the source of ultimate blessing. That he had God in his grasp. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Stay, wait, wait now. This is another one of those cases where the Hebrew and the English doesn't do justice. Because the way this is written, here's what Jacob is saying. I will not let you go unless you bless me with you. He's saying, I will not let you go until you bless me, until you become the blessing. All these other things I've tried, they're not working. I will not let you go until you. I am blessed with your presence in a way that I've never been blessed before because none of these other things, these pseudo-saviors, all these expectations, all these things that I think are going to make my life better, complete and perfect health and wealth and prosperity, all that, it's not working. I give up. I surrender. But God had to clobber him to wake him up. All of a sudden, Jacob realizes, I've been using God to get the blessing when all along God is the blessing. He's sitting there thinking about wrestling with Esau and God clobbers him to tell him, I'm the one you've been wrestling against. And I state, this is important. You, do you hear what I'm saying in this text? I'm saying this, that God is saying to Jacob, Jacob, I'm the one responsible for your frustration. I'm the one responsible for your life not turning out the way you thought it would. I'm the one responsible for the predicament that you're in right now. And here's why, Jacob, because you haven't learned your lesson yet. 
And you think by having a perfect life and good health and good prosperity and everything going your way is going to make you happy. And I have purposefully made sure that that road is not traveled because I love you and want you to know that will never give you what you're looking for. So Jacob, I'm saving you time. I'm opening your eyes right now to what you need ultimately is me. And if you have me, you don't need anything else. And Jacob, his eyes are open and he sees the Lord in a new way. As a matter of fact, it dawns on Jacob what he's been doing. Look at verse 20 of chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Oh man, look at that. You hear what Jacob's doing before he has this encounter? He's doing what we do. He's saying, God, if you'll do this, if you'll give me success on my journey, if you'll give me these things that I want, and if you'll be with me, then you will be my God and I'll give you a tenth. Oh my goodness. How old do you think that story is? I've been a pastor here for five years. I have seen people come and go. And usually people come when their life is a mess and they're desperate. And I'm glad that they do. I'm glad that they come. And sometimes they'll even start serving. Sometimes they'll even start praising and worshiping God. Sometimes they'll even start tithing, giving. But they're here because there's an illness in somebody that they love. There's a financial issue that they're trying to overcome. There's some bond that they can't break and they've tried everything else and their way's not working. So they come in hopes that God will deliver. God does. And then do you know what happens? They leave because their life is good now and they don't need God anymore. But that's okay because I know they'll be back. Do you know why I know they'll be back? Because it'll get tough again and God is gonna keep clobbering you Francis Thompson called God the hound of heaven. He's going to keep chasing you until it dawns on you that all the things in your life you think is going to make everything good and you're going to be at peace and you're going to be content. The only thing, the only entity big enough to fill that kind of void in you is God himself. Jacob reroutes and he realizes, God, you are the one that can give me the grace and approval that I was looking for in my father Isaac. You are the one that is the beauty that I was looking for in Rachel. And you are the one that gives me all the possessions that I was looking to take through deception from Laban, my uncle. I will not let you go until you bless me. Unfortunately, we have to pause the message there. Next time, we'll be looking at the rest of this sermon and learning what it means to give God control of your life. Join me then to hear the rest on Today with Jeff Vines. No man can see the face of God and live. You're going to die. And you know what Jacob's response is? And this is how I know he got it. He rerouted. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.